Hi there. Welcome to Reaching More Together, a multiplication network podcast. I'm your host, Abby Winter, and this week we'll hear from partnership content specialist, Dr. Chris Ramsendar. He'll be talking more about the importance of ministry partnerships in training church planters. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. So one of the things I wanted to start with was getting to know you better. So if you could let us know a little bit more about who you are and how you ended up with Multiplication Network, that'd be great. Okay. Well, my name is Chris Ramsadar, and uh, <clears throat> I've been with Multiplication. This I'm going on my third year. Um, prior to coming here, we served in uh, Mexico for six years. Prior to coming to Michigan, we served in Mexico for six years as missionary educators. I came primarily to Michigan so we could pastor a Hispanic church. And during the pandemic, um, uh, John Wagenfeld was having a conversation with one of our denominational leaders. And uh, <clears throat> he mentioned that I was in the area and uh, mentioned there would be a good uh, connection for us to make. Uh, so John called me during the pandemic and we waited um, midway through the pandemic to have a conversation. And um, interestingly enough, within a few weeks, I was a part of Multiplication Network. I had tried to do that before. Um, I first met John in, I believe, 2019 in, uh, in Fresno, California. It was my first exposure to Multiplication Network. It was my first exposure to church planting of this type. And um, I was very intrigued. And right after that meeting, or even during that meeting, I sent John my, my CV and said, you know, I would really like to be part of what you're doing. And uh, it took a while and a conversation with uh, one of our denominational leaders for John to uh, pick up the phone and call me. And we started uh, going down that road that now has me a part of a multiplication network. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like quite the journey to get here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and remind me what your um, title is at okay. Network. I do a couple of things. So I serve uh, with the Multiplication Network, um, mainly out of the President's Office. Um, I do uh, content stuff with uh, the President's Office, uh, serving also as the ambassador for the Lausanne Church Planting Issue Network. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> a lot of that is being done um, with our communication specialist, Dulcie Crawford, um, uh, who is doing a really, really great work um, uh, alongside uh, the rest of us in the president's office. But um, those two are uh, two of the main things that I do. So obviously when you're working in all these different um, areas, one key aspect of how Multiplication Network works is through partnerships with different ministries and churches around the world. Right. So <clears throat> why exactly does Multiplication Network work with partnerships? Um, we believe that partners help us go further in the work we do. Um, we can run by ourselves and we can probably run really fast, but if we run with others, I think we get further. And that's the old proverb. We believe that partnerships are the best use of our resources. Um, if we have skin in the game with any venture that we have, 
our partners will also have skin in the game. So they're also putting up resources and finances uh, towards the work that's being done. Um, so working with them helps us to maximize the resources we have. And as a small organization, that's a good thing to be doing. The other thing is <clears throat> with partnerships, whether they be partnerships locally in the United States or partnerships on the ground in any of our hubs around the world, our partners are the ones who really know the language, the culture, they're comfortable within their contacts, and they are the most effective group at doing the work that together as partners we agree upon. So partners are, I think they're a great blessing to us. And so we work with partners here in the U.S. We have um, partnerships with people like GSEX, GCPN, COTW, and then with the major denominations. And um, uh, we find that we, we do a lot better job working with them than working um, in silos. So you mentioned a couple different things there. So you mentioned that... Um, it's important for partners to be able to contextualize yeah. um, ministry tools that Multiplication Network provides. Right. Um, it's important for them to have skin in the game, so mm. pooling resources. Are there any other um, qualities that you look for when establishing a ministry partnership? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> definitely, we try to make sure that the partners we work with, have they share the same goals. They have the same mission and vision, they're doing uh, the same things we're doing. Again, as a small organization, we would like to see a healthy church representing the kingdom of God in every community. There are many different organizations out there, some of them who would like to, to work with us, but we share such different goals. And, and they're doing really, really good stuff. You know, we cannot negate the fact that they're doing excellent work. Just, they're not doing the same things we are. Mm. And if we want to uh, be effective in what we're doing, we need to take people on the journey with us who are like-minded. Um, so creating partnerships with folks who are doing the work we are doing. I'll give you an example. Um, in, in one of the countries that I'm involved in, we, we receive multiple requests from people from different organizations. And um, they all want to be part of what we're doing or want us to be part of what they're doing. But more often than not, they're not doing the same thing that we are. And they want us to help them do what they're doing, um, which is not the best use of the resources which uh, are limited that, that, that we have. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So obviously, it takes some time to kind of parse out whether or not a partnership is going to work, right. whether you're on the same track. On average, how long does it take to establish a ministry partnership? For me, it takes weeks to months to be able to do that. To establish mm -hmm. effective relationships, it takes quite a long time. Now, I will not take... Uh, divine direction out of the equation because sometimes God could lead you uh, to the people and the partners that you need and that happens almost instantaneously there's a click you start working together um, but to develop 
lasting relationships, especially with our partners, it takes time getting to know who they are, what they're doing, uh, seeing how compatible we are. So in rare occasions, it'll take a couple of weeks, but in most of the, the instances that I, I'm aware of, it takes months to be able to develop effective relationships because there's, there's a, a great amount of give and take and back and forth as to what exactly you're doing, what I'm doing, and how do we work effectively together. Mm. Yeah, all right, so hypothetically, yeah. you have a partner who meets all the criteria, mm -hmm. you've established a formal partnership agreement, and you've started working with them. Right. Overall, do you think partnerships make training church planters easier or more difficult? I think it makes it a lot easier because we, we actually get to train the people doing the training. And we can do that, and mainly it's done with people who understand our context. Very often they are the English speakers. And then they go ahead and train the, the church planters on the ground, which very often is done in their language. Part of what I believe multiplication does really well is we provide a lot of material. But our aim is not just to provide that material and have it available on a website or in print. We do it in the language of the people being trained. We try to do that as much as we can. So training is effective, because, not because we're doing it. I think it's effective because somebody who speaks the language, understands the culture, is very uh, agile and is able to move in and out of that cultural context, they can tweak our material, and we do give them the ability to, to adapt our material. Um, so I don't come in there and say, well, we have our modular training and it's 12 months. I need to be with you for 12 months, and I will just regurgitate what we have. No, we, what we do is we train the trainers, and they have the ability to do some adaptation of that. So instead of it being... Uh, 12 months, they may be able to chop that down to 11 or to 10 months, um, but be able to contextualize um, the material and being able to, to, to get that across to the people. So for us, text and, and contexts are, are really important. Mm. Have you ever had any um, challenges that have come up due to maybe cultural differences in teaching or in maybe distributing materials or things like that? Um, I think the challenges, um, I have not seen them much, but I do know that the challenges are in getting the materials readily in the language and making them culturally appropriate mm -hmm. to, to the people. So um, there is a book out there by a good friend of this organization, his name is John Adding. He wrote the book, How I Lost 1.5 Million in Missions. And the basic gist of it is because for a long while, his concentration was on sending Western missionaries to the rest of the world, which was not the best, most effective uh, use of his funds. And so he has now is very, very strong advocate of working with national workers. Um, so the challenges would be for us to get the materials we have, which is basically written 
by Westerners for it to be culturally appropriate and to be translated properly. And what we find is we, our translations go through one, two, or three different edits. Mm -hmm. Sometimes after they're printed, we go back again, look at them, re-edit them, and reprint them. Uh, because we want it to be uh, the most appropriate uh, uh, text for the context that, we, that we're working with. And you can probably imagine uh, for a language like Spanish, uh, which is spoken, you know, by so many people around the world, but there are so many different uh, words and phrases that in one country would be fine and in another it would not, and right. it would not translate easily. What goes for the Caribbean might not go for Latin America. What goes for Latin America might not go for Spain. Uh, and so we, we're constantly looking at our materials to, to, to avoid pitfalls and the, obstacle, the obstacles that come with translation. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so it definitely sounds like you need a lot of committed and dedicated people to, at the very least do translation and then furthermore contextualize it for right. every audience that's right. being distributed to. Right. And I think that that what we try to do is not to use like probably a, a clearinghouse that does all translations all mm. over the world. We our partners are the main people who do our translations. So if we're working in Africa, in West Africa, in East Africa, wherever, it's the partner on the ground who's familiar. Very often the trainers themselves who are looking at the material in English, they're the ones who end up doing most of the training and most of the translating for us. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, um, in your role, you've also done a lot of traveling around mm -hmm. the world. Are there any stories you've heard about church planters or trainers um, that have really touched you in any way that you'd like to share? There, there are a number of stories. The one that I... Um, that comes to mind is uh, of a convert from uh, a religion that uh, became very, the family was very antagonistic um, after this conversion. Uh, this man became a Christian and was kicked out of his home, he and his wife and young family. Uh, and the backdrop of that story is um, I was in a country once and the person who picked us up at the, uh, at the hotel to go to our meeting, he was driving a BMW. And I said, hey, you know, um, I'm jokingly, I said, you know, um, when I grow up, I want to drive a BMW. <laughs> <laughs> and he says to me, if you only knew what I have gone through to be where I am. And so he begins to tell me the story about his dad, um, who was kicked out of his family. They were homeless on the streets for a long time. He lived in uh, an orphanage for a while. Um, and he tells a story of having had to go at the end of the school day to pick up pieces of paper um, around town on the streets to be able to do his homework. Mm. Following that, having to live away from his family, he is now the dean of uh, a, 
Seminary. He is our lead um, church planter coordinator with this denomination. And um, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of God taking people where they are, um, making something of their lives, even in the midst of abandonment. Um, God takes us in his arms, makes us his children, and gives our life purpose. His purpose right now is in working with us to do the work of discipleship, to do the work of church planting, while continuing to do the work that he feels he's been called to uh, in the denomination. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. really an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other one I would add, if you give me a chance, I have <laughs> Go <two>. for it. <laughs> is of a, a very nondescript uh, lady that I, we were listening to church planters told, tell their stories. And what we're seeing around the world is people who come in, they, they come in contact with, uh, with the power of God. In some way, God does something in their lives. Quite often through healing or deliverance or, or getting them out of a situation that's very, very difficult. And this lady, I think in a few years ago, uh, was very, very ill. She came to know Christ and she got healed. And in the last few years, she has become not just a church planter, um, but she helps with others. So uh, when I heard her story back in April, she had 35 church planters under her leadership. And this is a, a lady who is in the church and she's barefooted and you wouldn't be able to tell her from anybody else. But she has 35 church planters under her leadership, 2,000 believers, and in the last year, she has personally baptized over 700 new converts. Wow. Yeah. That's so many. Yeah. And that's all from one person. That's from one person and, and in response to what God has done in her life. And we're seeing that over and over again. People, in response to what God has done in their lives, they say, well, I've got to tell somebody. And they gather a group in their porch or wherever under a tree and we're seeing churches started that way. It's so amazing to like yeah. hear so many stories like that where mm -hmm. people are literally multiplying churches through yes. like just telling other people. Right. right. That's so neat. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask if there's anything else that you wanted to say or touch on that we haven't maybe covered in this interview. Um, I believe that the work we're doing is really, really important. Um, I think being a part of the multiplication network in my life is a godsend. I said we, we were in Mexico for six years as educators. And for six years, I did the traditional stuff. You know, <clears throat> I was a seminary president. We would bring people to seminary. We would train them. We would send them back out. But we were doing it in the same old system, in the same old way. Um, getting especially young people to seminary, sending them back out into the denomination where 
there was that perpetual struggle. You know, uh, there's no new churches being planted. So we're getting more and more ministers and the same amount of churches. And so there's a, the, the, the pipeline is clogging up. Um, and the churches, the older pastors don't want to give up the, the, their leadership to these young guys and these young gals. And they get frustrated. So <clears throat> the joke was we were preparing pastors for other denominations. Because with the frustrations that they were facing going back home, they said, you know, this, that, I don't need this. God has called me. There's a work that needs to be done. And other denominations were just picking them up and saying, okay, we want you to do this, that, and the next, and help in church planting and all of that. So for six years, uh, I did the traditional stuff. And in my past life as an educator, as a pastor, we did the traditional stuff. Um, what is challenging now, and I think that's where my, my heart pushes, is in making disciples mm. who themselves turn around and make other disciples. Um, so seeing healthy churches being planted, I think it right now it gives me a whole lot more joy than sitting in, in the office of the seminary trying to run the same old thing being done over and over again. This is this to me is 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 what drives me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's one thing to teach someone how to like give a good sermon, maybe, mm. but it's entirely different to teach them how to plant a church that's flourishing and planting other churches as well. Yeah, to do what's in our DNA, which is to produce disciples. We've been called to make disciples, to go throughout the world and to make disciples of Christ. Alright, well on that note, thank you so much again for joining us, Chris. Really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you for having me and I'm glad we're able to do this. Thank you for listening and for supporting Multiplication Network through your gifts and prayers. If so led, we encourage you to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can also visit our website, multiplicationnetwork.org to learn more about becoming a monthly multiplier, read testimonies from church planters around the world, sign up for our monthly newsletter, and more. For Reaching More Together, I'm Abby Winter.